0: If you'd like to open up your Bibles to John chapter fourteen, we'll be continuing our sermon series through this book. John chapter fourteen, and we're taking just the first six verses of chapter fourteen, page nine oh one of the ESVP Bibles. This is John 14, starting at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word this morning, we confess that this is your holy, infallible, inerrant word. We pray that you would give us the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit so that we can see its its true meaning, what you have to say to us, and also how to best apply it to our life as we follow Christ in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When someone mentions hot air ballooning, we might think of big colorful balloons and bright sunny days and incredible high altitude vistas. We, we probably think of some of those things. We probably don't think about the dangers that are associated with ballooning. But there are dangers, uh, especially during takeoff and landing. It's during these times when when the balloon is up in the air but hasn't risen very high that it's at most risk for running into things like buildings or trees or, more seriously, power lines. You cannot steer a hot air balloon, but you can secure it to the ground. And the way to secure a balloon to the ground and avoid risk during takeoff or landing is with several Lines of lightweight yet strong nylon rope. It's called a tether. Without the tether line securing the balloon, a strong gust of wind could, could grab hold of it and, and blow it into a dangerous obstacle. What should be an exciting adventure with family and friends could very quickly turn into an extremely dangerous and uncontrolled and potentially fatal misadventure. In John chapter 14, Jesus recognized that Jesus' disciples may have been going through a similar feeling. They may have felt untethered and, and at risk. For the past three years, they had been with Jesus. It was new. It was an exciting adventure. Jesus was taking them to new heights. He was showing them things that they had never seen before. But things were changing fast. There was a betrayer. In their midst. And Jesus was saying that he was leaving them and where he was going, they could not come. It was as if their balloon had suddenly become untethered and a strong gust of wind was propelling it towards some dangerous power lines. Well, in response to their fear and panic, Jesus addresses them starting at chapter 14, verse 1. And what he says can be compared to tether lines that he's he's throwing down and securing. To the ground. Each new statement is like another rope being tied off, securing them, assuring them that they are not headed for disaster. We're going to look this morning at three of those tether lines, three of those securing ropes. And then we're going to make sure we understand what Jesus is saying so that we can have our lives secure and tied down tight. Verse 1 begins by saying, Jesus saying to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Troubled means to cause movement by shaking. When it's applied like it is here to their hearts, it means inward turmoil, to be disturbed, unsettled, or to be thrown into confusion. C- can we take a moment to enumerate the reasons why they might be thrown into confusion and experiencing this untethered turmoil right now. If, if we see why, it will help explain and and understand why Jesus says he do, what he does in the next few verses. So let, let's go through these. Number one, in verse 21, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Now, if the one that you're looking to for leadership and direction and strength, whatever they're doing is, is going to to come down the line to to those following the leader. If the leader is confident, then the followers are more likely to be confident. If the leader is, is joyful, then they're more likely to be joyful. If the leader is troubled, then something is off. They can see their master troubled and they know that can't be a good thing. So that's number one. Number two, in verse 22, Jesus told them, one of you will betray me. That had to have been disturbing to hear. As they looked around, one of you, one of you in the room. It's just the inner circle at this point. It's just Jesus and the 12. So one of you are going to betray me. They're going to turn on Jesus. And they must have been thinking, well, if one of our own is a traitor, who can we trust? This was disturbing. Number three: Judas had mysteriously left the group and gone out into the night. No one knew why he suddenly bolted from, from the upper room. And even though the reason he left was unclear to them, something was definitely off. That, that, was, that was unusual. Fourthly, Jesus told them he was going away. He was going away, and they could not come with him. I mean we can only imagine what they were thinking: uh, "Why would you leave us?" Jesus, what do we do once you're gone? And, and do you realize what we've given up? Do you realize what we've sacrificed to follow you? We've left everything. And, and what, now we're just dismissed? Is, is this the end? And then lastly, f- fifthly, Jesus declared that Peter would deny Jesus three times before the night was over. Peter, the leader of the 12, the leader of the 12 disciples, that guy was going to deny Jesus three times before the night was over. They're trying to make sense of this. They've heard everything and they've said, now wait a minute, so there's a betrayer in the midst and Peter is going to deny it? So there's, there's two betrayers? or, or what, is, he, is he the betrayer? How, how does this work? When we set these things next to each other, it is easy to, to see why they're disturbed and in turmoil and unsettled and untethered. How could they not be thrown into confusion? if It's like a, a dark cloud of impending doom has hovered over them and ready to strike them with a bolt of lightning at any moment. All anchor points have been severed. They're floating around in the air. They're blowing with the wind. Everything seems to be unraveling and very quickly. They become untethered. Jesus is aware that morale is trending downward. And so he, he is aware also that things are going to get worse than they get better. So the first thing he does to secure them, the first thing he does, the first line he throws down is a no-nonsense, direct command. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm sure we've all seen the classic movie scene where someone is standing on a on a high ledge either either on a high-rise building and they're they're against the wall or or maybe they're standing on some mountain cliff face and there's just a couple of inches of ledge and someone comes to rescue them and they're either inching out of a window kind of reaching out towards them on the ledge or maybe they're they're in the helicopter on on a line themselves and they're extending a hand It never fails. Every single time the scene is played out, they say the same thing. What do they say? Look at me. Don't look down. Look at me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't don't look at, at the height you're at. Don't look at the danger. Look at me. With this command, Jesus is saying, look at me. Don't look down. Don't look at the danger. Don't look at the things that are happening around you. Don't look at the things that are unraveling. Look at me. Keep your eyes of faith locked on me. Things look like they're starting to fall apart, and they're going to get worse. You must plant your flag of faith on me. That's the first line that Jesus throws down and secures. Here's the next line. Their eternal place in the heavenly realm is secure. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. That's figurative language. God is spirit. He is not literally walking around in a house built with two-by-four stick framing and drywall and and carpeting. Room is also figurative language. Let's not think that once we get to heaven, we'll be issued a 12-by-12 room with a TV and a kitchenette. That's not what's happening here. This is talking about where believers will be spending eternity With God. It is our eternal state with God. He says, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, if what I'm telling you is not true, would I be saying it? The answer, of course, is no. And if I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is preparing a place for his followers. How? What does that mean? He's preparing a place. Hebrews calls Jesus our great high priest, and it says, He has entered into the uh, heavenly realms. Not an earthly temple, but heaven itself. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So Christ has gone to heaven itself as our high priest, presents his sacrifice on our behalf, He has removed the sin barrier between people and God. He stands before God on our behalf and it's his righteousness that grants and secures our place in the heavenly realm. Verse three also says, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may also may be also. So for those that believe in Christ, Jesus promises to return and take them home. This is his second coming. Jesus had two comings. The, the first coming, also called his first advent, was approximately 2,000 years ago. He was born of the Virgin Mary, became incarnate, grew, went to the cross, died, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. That was his first coming. This is his second coming or second advent. It has not happened yet. But when he returns, <clears throat> excuse me, he will gather all those who belong to him. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen and 17 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This is referring to his second coming. So their place in heaven is secure. And Jesus will come for them. That's the second line that he he threw down and secured. And then in verse four, he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now we've seen Jesus repeatedly teach on belief in him leads to eternal life. Believe in me, he has said over and over and over. Belief in Christ gives eternal life. And we can only imagine how many times he said that to his disciples or how many times they've heard that both publicly and privately during his ministry which makes Thomas' remark seem strangely out of place. Verse five Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. He just told them. How can we know the way? And Jesus' response is one of the strongest statements in the entire Bible regarding the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is the third line that he's throwing down and securing. And we need to take a closer inspection of what he's saying. First, I am the way. Jesus is saying, I am the way to salvation. I am the way to eternal life. I am the way to the the, the Father's house. I am the way to the, the heavenly realm that he was just talking about. I am the way to God. The way to God is not by being a good person. The way to God is not by doing good deeds or doing good works. The way to God is not by being honest and telling the truth or staying faithful to your spouse or never stealing Or never hurting someone. The way to God is not by praying. Or by reading the Bible. Or by attending church. The way to God is not by being baptized or or coming to the table. The way to God, the way to salvation is Jesus. Faith in Jesus. None of those other things save us. None of those other things are the way. Somebody might raise a hand and say, well, wait, wait a minute, what do you mean, pastor? None of those things are important? None of those things matter? No, that's not what I'm saying. Please don't walk away thinking that none of those things I just mentioned are not important at all. Don't, don't be that person who says to themselves, well, since faith in Jesus is all that matters, Bible and doctrine and church and prayer and serving one another and, and all those things, those, those are kind of secondary. They're kind of optional. Um, they're not a salvation issue, so I guess they don't really matter. All that God cares about is that I believe in Jesus. No, that is a misunderstanding of Scripture. I'm saying those things are not the way to salvation, meaning none of those things can secure our salvation However, if you are saved, you will be doing those things aggressively. In fact, they're so important that if they are absent in your life, if those things are not happening, then you should question your salvation. That's how important they are. Jesus is the way. Only faith in Christ saves. Only Jesus is our great high priest. Only Jesus makes intercession on our behalf. Only Jesus is the mediator of the covenant of grace. Only Jesus completed the cross work. Only Jesus made atonement for our sins. Only Jesus rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. That is why Jesus can say, I am the way and the truth. What's the opposite of truth? Lie. Yeah. The opposite of truth is lies. Every spiritual teaching you have ever heard or ever will hear other than the doctrine contained in scripture is a lie. The Villa Pisani hedge maze in Italy is said to be one of the oldest and most difficult mazes in the world. Napoleon Bonaparte attempted the maze and then quit because it was too difficult The the hedges are so high that once you enter into the the maze, you can't see anything except the sky directly above you. But in the center of the maze is a strong stone tower. It's very tall. And the, the design is set up so that whoever's on that strong, tall stone tower has a commanding view of the entire hedge maze and can direct those that are in the maze towards its exit if they need help. Jesus is our strong tower. He stands above all things. He has a commanding view of the entire universe and everything in it, across all time, across all space. His actions are completely true. Everything he says is true. Jesus is the truth. So if we want truth, we must look to Jesus standing in the center on top of the, of the strong, tall tower. If we want truth, we must look to his voice. But to really make this illustration work, we need to add another element. If we're in the maze and Jesus is at the center of the maze with a commanding view of of everything and the truth to guide us out, then our enemy, Satan, appears also within the maze and says the opposite of everything that Jesus is telling us. Jesus is truth. Satan is lie. He's there shouting, giving misdirection. If Jesus says, go forward, Satan says, go back. If Jesus says, turn right, he says, turn left. And, and just like there is a, uh, a correct decision in every maze juncture, for example, if you're walking through the maze and you come to a T, there are only two choices there. One of them is going to take you outside the maze. The other one is going to take you deeper in the maze. There's only, there's only two ways to go. It's the same thing when it comes to the big questions of life where do we come from jesus says turn right adam and eve were created by god you are made in his image satan says turn left you evolved out of the goo into the zoo that was you you're you're just a random mass of biological cells you have no meaning there's nothing to you you have no inherent worth why are we here? Jesus says, "Turn right. We are here to glorify God." Satan says, "Turn left. You're here to do whatever you want to do." Don't let anybody tell you how to run your life. Where are we headed? Jesus says, "Turn right. An eternity in either heaven or hell." Satan says, "Turn left. Because it doesn't really matter. This is all there is. We get one shot. And when it's over, That's it. It just lights out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where we're headed. We're headed nowhere. Jesus is the truth. There's Jesus and then there's everything else. Jesus is the true savior. Jesus is the true holy one of God. Jesus is the true redeemer that the Old Testament prophets spoke of. He is the true sacrifice that the Old Testament sacrifices could only point to and foreshadow. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, and the life. What's the opposite of life? Death. Death. Jesus is saying that he alone is able to bring someone from spiritual death to spiritual life. He alone grants eternal life to those who turn to him in repentance and belief. And he's also saying that apart from him, there is no life. The opposite is true as well. The the converse is, is true as well. He's saying... Those that do not turn to me in repentance belief remain in their sins. They remain in death, in eternal death, in spiritual death. Jesus promises to grant eternal life to all who turn to him. No matter how great their sin is, no one can out sin God. No one can sin so much that, that God is unable to, to save them. Abraham was a liar. Moses killed an Egyptian and hit him in the sand. David committed adultery and then murdered to cover it up. Paul hated Christ. He hated the church. He persecuted the church violently. And yet God saved them all. God saves sinners like you and me. And he grants them eternal life. But it is conditional. Conditional. This eternal life that Jesus Christ offers is conditional. It's not universal. It's not automatic. No one can just assume they're saved, assume that things are going to be okay. No, look at this, the second half of verse six. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other means of salvation. There's no other provision from God for salvation. He has given us one way to be made right with him. He's not given multiple ways. He's not given three ways or even two ways. There is one way that we are to be made right with him and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, somebody might raise a hand. Well, what about all the other world religions? Don't we all kind of worship the same God? No, we don't. We don't worship the same God. All other world religions, all other belief systems are false religions false belief systems with false teachers. They do not save. They lead to death, which is the opposite of life. Acts 4.12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. First Timothy 2. five: for there is one God and there is one mediator Between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's that's the last line that he threw down and secured for his disciples. And what he was telling them was this You have not followed me in vain. I understand things are falling apart. I understand this is throwing you into confusion and turmoil. But you did not leave your nets and leave everything behind and follow me. You did not give up your life to follow me in vain. Because you have believed in the way, the truth, and the life. Who among us here does not need to hear this? Um, all of these, these rope lines that Jesus has thrown down and secured, they, they are more relevant today than they ever have been. Uh, I, I used to be able to watch the news and be shocked periodically. Every couple months, there used to be something that was shocking. Then it was once a month. Then it was not so long ago, once a week. Then it was daily. And now it's multiple times a day. Each new event, each new report, more wicked than the one before it. And I know we're all seeing this. And I know it can be disturbing, troubling, unsettling. So 2023 is no sunny day excursion into the air for for sightseeing. No. It's it's more like a storm that's raging around the church today. Thunder, lightning, straight line, 80 mile an hour winds. And we're surrounded by high voltage arcing power lines. And at the same time there is a chasm between faithful followers and and the world, faithful followers of Christ and everyone else. And that chasm is widening. It's it's deepening. Um uh, it's becoming more visible. In the, in the past three years, primarily because of COVID, 42% of professing evangelicals did not return to the church. So 2019, 2020, you've got this many people. Uh, 2023, now you've got 40 42% less. Professing Christians, whatever that means. But 42% less. Paul Washer, founder of Cry Mission Society, commented on these statistics and said, quote, it seems that God has done through a pandemic what he could not do through our pitiful preaching. God is cleansing his church, unquote. It is becoming easier to identify the true bride of Christ, true followers of Jesus Christ, and everyone else. And I don't think we need a slide rule to figure out that increased persecution is coming to the church now more than ever, followers of Christ need to be tied down tight and secure. Here are these lines that Jesus has provided to help secure and tie down his church. Number one, eyes on Christ. Look at him. Don't look at the danger. Look at him. It's, it's very easy I find myself doing it from time to time. It's very easy to sit there and wring our hands and just say, look at everything that's happening. This is really, really bad. And we focus on that. Jesus is saying, look at me. Eyes on me. Don't look at that. Look at me. Number two, your eternal place has been secured by your Savior and he has promised to bring you to him. We know how this ends. You know how it ends for you. Your eternal place has been secured by your Savior. Big picture. And number three, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And this line is telling his church, he's he's telling every single believer, whatever the cost, whatever you've had to give up, whatever sacrifice you have made or will be called to make is not done in vain. If you are in Christ, you are secure in Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word.